Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon, Stevens Creek. How you feeling? It is a good day to be here. Happy 4th of July, and I can't think of no better place to be than the house of God to celebrate freedom. And um, can we give it up to our online campus and our South Augusta campus? We are so glad that you are here with us. Um, One of the cool things uh, happening today is that we are starting a brand new series called All In. And this series is all about being fully committed to what God has called you to as an individual, his purpose for your life, and his purpose for you in his church. It's about saying yes. It's about taking a leap of faith. And speaking about going all in and uh, taking a leap of faith, a few weeks ago, our first son conquered his fear of water. I want to show you this video uh, because we had a, a situation where he was a little afraid of water. You see him saying, no, 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 no. And he, he's shaking his head. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do. He's backing up. He's contemplating whether or not he's going to go in. This is my favorite part. He sets himself ready. He's engaged. He creeps closer to it. And then finally, he jumps and goes all in. That was a big deal in our house because he is um, finally over his um, fear of water. It makes going to the pool a lot more fun. But before he got over that and went all in, he made sure he got his life jacket and his floaty. He was fully equipped for what God had, or he was fully equipped for his mission. And today we're going to talk about how God will equip us for the mission that he has called us to. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 1, starting at the verse, verse 4. And if you don't mind standing with me as we go there. This is the second part of Luke's contribution to the Holy Scriptures. And verse 4, it starts, when once when he was eating, he being Jesus, with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Another version says, this same Jesus will return the way you saw him. I want to talk to you for a few moments about um, how God equips us for mission. Let's pray. God, thank you 
so much for this day. I pray that you would give me clarity of speech and mind, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would say. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. On this day, 245 years ago, 56 delegates representing the 13 colonies gathered together to uh, commit to and approve a document that is now known as the Declaration of Independence. Uh, This first-of-its-kind work was not approved haphazardly. In fact, my brothers and sisters, a lot of thought and contemplation went into approving this message. Uh, You see that there was a danger or rather a risk in approving and going all in on this Declaration of Independence. You see, if they decided to go all in, they would gain a powerful enemy. They would put their lives in a constant state of danger. Failure was a likely outcome, and they were positioning themselves to be unsure about their future. Their future was as cloudy as a Midwestern rainy day. They were in a difficult position, yet they still decided to go all in. You see, their resolve to go all in and approve this Declaration of Independence was rooted in the fact that they had been equipped with an ideal that was bigger than their personal issues. They were equipped equipped with an ideal that had permeated the very essence of their soul, a, a model or a creed that they adopted as their own, that freedom is worth fighting for. And this has been the marching orders of our nations ever since. And in pivotal moments of our history, we have had to reaffirm, to go all in again on our commitment to that model that freedom is worth fighting for. Those 56 delegates could not have had any idea of what they were doing and how it would affect the very lives of the people they were connected to, and the lives that we have today. And even though we live in turbulent times, today is a reminder that when you make a decision to go all in, it can shape the course of history. The disciples in our biblical passage today find themselves at an all-in decision moment. They are faced with a decision to recommit to what God has called them to. For the last three and a half years, they had been walking with Jesus, but there had been no greater turbulent times than the last 47 days. It seems like their world got turned upside down. 47 days ago, they walked into the city and everybody was saying, Hosanna to the King of Kings. They were celebrated and elevated. And then seven days later, this same crowd, said crucify him and they took him and hung him on a tree in between two threes he was buried in a borrowed tomb yet three days later he rose up again but at his death these same disciples were scattered they hear the news of his resurrection they go to the tomb and don't find a body in there later on uh, in that week Jesus shows up in their lives but they're bewildered by it they decide well I'm going to go back fishing and periodically over the next 40 days Jesus is showing up in their lives calling them to recommit to the mission that he had called them to 
calling them to go all in. The challenge with this moment is the disciples are in transitional times, yet in the midst of this transition, Jesus is calling them to reaffirm to the decision and the call that he had called them to in the beginning, to be fishers of men. And can I tell you, times of transitions are opportunities to recommit to the mission that God has called you to. I don't know if family has ever meant more than it has in the last two years. I don't know if friendship and the value of people has ever meant more than the last two years. In times of transition, it's an opportunity to recommit to the mission. But what's interesting about what's happening here in these verses is Jesus is not calling them to commit without adding something to the equation. What he is saying is, yes, I want you to recommit. Yes, I want you to go all in, but I'm going to give you what is needed in order for you to succeed at what I'm calling you to. And here's the second truth, is that God will equip you with what you need in order to succeed in the mission he has called you to. God is going to equip you with what you need in order to accomplish the mission he has called you to. And this is the, the, the main crux of our text today is Jesus is equipping his disciples to go all in on the mission he has called them to. And I know you may be reading this and feel a little detached from where this is in uh, Scripture. This is over 2,000 years ago. But can I tell you, the promise of this text echoes today in our lives that you were created on purpose for a purpose, that God wants to use your story for his glory, that God has made you. In fact, Scripture says it like this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you were created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he had planned for you long ago. Other people may overlook you, but you are purposed by design that God has an assignment for your life, and he's not going to leave you unequipped for that. He's going to give you the tools to accomplish what he wants to do in your life. Here's the thing. There are five things in this text I think is helpful for us to understand that the disciples get to equip them to accomplish the purpose of God in their lives. Here's the first thing that they get. They're equipped with God's presence. Y'all, like somebody who can't swim needs floaties. Like everyone in Augusta needs Zyrtex. All of us need to be equipped with the presence of God. God's presence is essential for our lives. The Holy Spirit is needed to accomplish the purpose of God in your life. When Jesus starts with his equipping power, look at what he says in verse 4. He says, once while they were eating, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I have told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is necessary for you to have the continual presence of God in your life in order to accomplish what God wants to do in your life. Before we go anywhere else, we need the presence of God to indwell us, to fill us, to be evident in our lives. This is a non-negotiable requirement. This is the first thing that Jesus equips the disciples with because it is the thing they need most. 
See, the Holy Spirit in the Greek New Testament, he is called a paraclete. It, it means one who comes alongside, one who helps, one who comforts. In John 14 and 26, Jesus says it like this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. You see, the Holy Spirit is necessary because it prunes you and creates, cultivates in you who God has created you to be. The Holy Spirit takes you through the process necessary to become who God has called you to be. I love how this reads in uh, the Greek literally. It literally reads like this. Stop departing from Jerusalem. This is what Jesus says to them. And what Jesus is insinuating here in the text is that they had been going back and forth. I, I'm going to go fishing for a little while, and then I'm going to come check on God and hang out here. I'm, I'm going to go do my own thing and come back here. And how many of us can identify that we do the same thing? We are not patient enough to wait on God to perform his work in our lives. We, we'll wait on him for a little bit and say, Lord, I'll try to make it happen on my own. I, I'm waiting on the spouse for a little bit. Then, Lord, I, I'm going to go find them on my own. Lord, look, I swipe right on this person, Jesus. Can you make this the one? We try to manufacture it and do it on our own instead of being patient enough to wait on God's spirit and presence to lead, guide, and direct us. In Psalm 105, 19, he says it like this, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And I tell you that God's process in your life requires his presence, and the process is to develop you, not to hinder you. And time spent waiting on God is not time wasted. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Wait on God. Wait on Here's why. If you feel like rushing, just remember, if the enemy, the devil can't slow you down, he will speed you up. He will try to get you to go somewhere before God has released you. He will try to get you to go farther than your character can keep you. He will try to get you outside the will of God to do your thing without God's presence. Wait on God. Wait on his presence. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. His presence is the activating agent to the potential in our lives. This is the first thing Jesus equips them with. Here's the second thing that he does is he gives them God's perspective. Now, now notice what happens in verse 6. This is what happens. They, they say to him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They only cared about God's presence in their lives as it related to their personal desires being accomplished. Hmm. How many of us look at God as a genie and not as a savior? How many of God love God for what he can do for us and not for who he is? Uh, let me burst the bubble of individualism and me first society. 
God's plan has bigger implications than your personal fulfillment. God's plan has bigger implications than your personal fulfillment. But if you will surrender to his perspective, if you will receive his perspective, you will find fulfillment. Notice Jesus' response. He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. Here's what Jesus is saying. That the God perspective is recognizing that God is sovereign. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there are some things that we are not going to understand. There are some things that aren't going to make sense. And we've got to submit to his sovereignty over our personal desires. He, He is redirecting their focus off of their desires. And on to his purpose. In Matthew 16 and 24 and 25, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it's like to be a disciple. And he says, but if anyone wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever will save their life will lose it. But whosoever will lose their life for my sake will find it. Here's what he's trying to say, that you don't find fulfillment in your personal accomplishments. You find fulfillment in accomplishing God's purpose for your life. And anything else you try to fill that void in will leave you empty and leave you dissatisfied. But if you will receive the God perspective, you will find the fulfillment that you're searching for. And here's the reality. God did not say no to their request. He is saying that that request should not be your focus. I know some of you are waiting on God to do something incredible. God, when are you going to fix my marriage? God, God, when are you going to send that promotion? God, when are you going to send me a husband or a wife? God, God, when are you going to bring my child home? This, this relationship is fractured. God, when are you going to do it? And here's what Jesus is saying. God is sovereign. The dates and the times for that are not for you to know. But focus on what he has called you to. And I want to challenge you while you're waiting. Use the God perspective which is trusting the one who knows when you don't. I I know you may not understand it. I know you may not know what's going to happen, but I know who holds my future. And because I can trust the one who is large and in charge, I will rest in his sovereignty and receive his perspective. This is what he is pushing them and challenging them to do. Uh, Uh, A lady named Elizabeth Elliot, she wrote a book in 1957 um, called, and the name is escaping me right now, uh, Gates of Splendor. Gates of Splendor. And her book was about her time as a missionary, specifically with her husband. Her and her husband were missionaries in Ecuador, and it was a wonderful time. They were seeing ministry flourish, but then they found out about this tribe who had never heard the gospel 
They never was told the story of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And from her perspective, she didn't want her husband to go. But him and five other gentlemen in 1955 decided to go and share the gospel with this tribe. This tribe ended up killing all five of them. And from her perspective, it looked like it didn't make sense. God, what are you doing? How could you take my husband away? How could you take this life partner away? How could you do this to me? Yet a couple years after that, she writes this book. And because of the book she had written, it brings attention to this tribe. And a few years later, a new group of missionaries goes to this tribe and they hear the gospel. This time they receive it and lives are changed and their eternity is transformed forever. Can I tell you, God's perspective is the big picture. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And even when you feel like things are going down, God has a bigger thing in store for you. He has a better plan ahead of you. And what you have lost, he will bring back better than before. It seems like you are broken, but he will use it for his glory and his honor. And Romans 8 and 28 says it like this, all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That means the good, bad, and the ugly. Jesus has equipped them with his presence and he has equipped them with his perspective but here's the third thing that he equips them with is they are equipped with God's power. Now, y'all, we need God's power each and every day. Some of the things Scripture asks us to do is absolutely difficult. You know, we are called to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. Uh, but sometimes that's the same person. Uh, now, don't look to the person next to you. They already know they're one of the two. Don't give them no ideas. But the reality is, he's sending his presence and his perspective because he wants to equip us with his power. And, and I love what happens here because he's taking two things that don't seem like they go together in order to marry them together so we can understand that God's power in our lives is in direct correlation to God's presence in our lives. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is that private presence will lead to public power. Some of you are trying to see where God is going to move in my life. How is God going to show up? I want to see him make ways out of no way. I want to see him open doors for me. Well, let me tell you what it takes. It takes you spending time in his presence. If you would get in his presence, you will see the manifestation of his power. If you would get in his presence, you will see him move like you've never seen before. He will hover in this place. God's presence is a prerequisite to his power. We need his presence in our lives. His presence will prompt and activate his power in our lives. Here's what he says in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When God's presence is daily in your lives, you will receive power. My grandmother grew up in a backwoods Jamaican church. They didn't have 
um, much resources, much funds, and um, very, very poor environment. But when I was growing up, she would teach me this song about God's presence and his power. And she would say in her patois, in her broken dialect, if you want the power, you have to check it every hour. That if you want his power in your life, you've got to check him every hour. In other words, she was saying you've got to spend time in his presence to see his power manifested in your life. This is something Paul knew all too well. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, Paul is in the presence of the Lord. He is praying and he has an ailment going on. He is frustrated with what's going on and he is praying in God's presence. And God says to him while he was praying, God, take this away, take this away. God says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. In this moment, Paul has an epiphany and he says, oh, Lord, I get it now. And he says to us, so I boast all the more in my weakness so that the power of Christ may be evident, active, alive in my life. What Paul was saying to us is he's not ashamed of the weakness that he has because it's an opportunity for him to see the power of God manifested in your life. And what I'm trying to say to you is somebody may say you don't have eloquent words, you don't have the talent, you don't have the gift, you have all of these weaknesses. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that's just an opportunity for you to see God at work in your life. Where you are weak, he is strong. Where you are lost, he is the way. Where you are sick, he is a healer. God's power works in our weakness. He is working in our lives to shape us and form us into who he has called us to be. His power is evident. But here's the important thing about his power. We have to remember to rely on his power and not our own strength. Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. God wants to empower you, but we've got to be willing to lean on his strength. To help us in the places that we are weak. Here's the fourth thing that Jesus equips them with. He, they get equipped with God's purpose. <laughs> I, I love this. Here, here's what he says, the latter part of verse 8. He says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what he is saying to them. And I I want you to hear this, is that God's purpose for your life is to make a difference in the lives of others. You know, we talked about the God perspective and taking the focus off of us. God's going to do a work in your life. He is going to perform what he has promised. But the purpose of God's working in your life is so that you and your story will make a difference in the lives of others. That you are empowered by God for the purposes of God. He wants your life to make a difference. Said it earlier, it is your story but his glory. And 
And here's what Jesus is trying to explain to these disciples, these timid disciples who may not have the words, these uneducated men who don't look like they are sophisticated enough to say and stand up and speak for God. He says, you'll be my witnesses. And this is the reality that you are empowered to represent Jesus to others. The reason for your empowerment is to represent Jesus to others. Matthew 5 and 14, Jesus says, we are the light of the world. And I love how he breaks this down because he lets these uneducated men know that he has a greater purpose for their life. That God is working in our world and he wants us to be a witness to three distinct groups of people. The first is people we are comfortable with. Jerusalem and Judea, these are people we like. These are people it's easy to be a witness to. They have the same values as us, same morals as us. It's easy to be a light in these places. But then he says, I also want you to go to Samaria. And Jesus is calling us to be a light to be his representative to people who we are uncomfortable with. People who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't have the same value system as us, who don't vote like us, who don't respect things that we respect. Jesus is saying, not only do I want you to be a light in places that you feel comfortable, I want you to be a light with people that you feel uncomfortable with. But he looks in the eyes of these ragtag group of fishermen and he says, not only do I see what you're going to do now, but I'm looking into your future and you are going to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. He, he says, I want you to be alike to people you haven't even met yet. And this is why we encourage you to share your story. Because when you share your story, others get to hear the good news of Jesus. What you deem to be insignificant is a powerful tool in the hands of God to share the good news of Jesus Christ to others. This is the challenge that he has given them, and I can anticipate that the disciples in this moment, they are geared up. Jesus has given them his presence, his, his uh, perspective, his power, and his purpose. They are charged and ready to go. Jesus had died, but now he's back, and we're going to do this. And just in that moment, Scripture says it like this. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. You have been in such a turbulent time. Things have gone up and down, and you finally get 
Jesus back. He is in your world, and you, you see the future as bright as can be. And in that moment, you lose your Savior. You lose your companion. You lose your good friend. He's going away. And something just feels wrong about that. I bet if you search your own life, you find places that just feel wrong. You find situations that just feel wrong. I was talking to uh, Kyle here at the church. He's a member here, and he works in the hospice division, his company. And he was telling me about the pediatric division within his hospice care. Now, at any time, there are always three or four children in hospice care. Three or four children whose parents are watching their hopes and dreams wither away. Something is wrong about that. This week at the church, we had a funeral for a beautiful baby, four-year-old girl, and then a 40-something-year-old man. And it looked like both of them should have had so much more life. Something feels wrong about that. The last thing God equips us with is we get equipped with God's promise. See, in this text, as they were standing watching Jesus go away, these angels say to them, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Here's the reality. That God's promise to make things right gives us hope when things are wrong. I, I know Things seem broken. It, it seems shattered. And you look into our world and you see so many different things and it seems like there's no hope. But the good news is that we have a Savior who promised that he is returning to make all things new, to make things right again. And see, this promise from God gives us hope. David... In Psalm 27 and 13, he is dealing with calamity. And before he uh, descends into despair and decay, he says these words. I would have lost heart unless I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What he is saying is that the promise of God to return and make things right give me hope to endure today gives me hope to face tomorrow. And because God has equipped me with these things, this is the, the secondary aspect of the promise is that it should prompt you into action. Jesus is going to keep his word. He will return. But until he does, it's time to get to work. It's time to take your next step. And because God has equipped me, I can take my next step. 
I can pursue what he has called me to. I can go after his spirit. I can wait in his presence. I can be endued with power. I can fulfill the purpose of God on my life. And when I'm discouraged, I lean into these pockets of hope in the midst of despair, knowing that his promises for me are yes and amen. He's a good, good father who is working things out. But church, because we are equipped, we have a decision to make. We have to decide now, and this is what I'm praying each of you walk away with today, is saying, I am fully equipped to go all in on God's purpose for my life and his church. Can I tell you, God's purpose for your life is not outside of the context of what he wants to do in your life through his local church. There are no spectators in God's kingdom. And we are called to be a light, to go all in on that fact. I want to pray with you. I'm out of my time. But there are two people I want to pray for. One, you're in this room. You're in our atrium. You're watching online and you have not gone all in on a relationship with Jesus. You haven't said yes to him. Today is your day. But there are a second group of people that I want to pray for. Those of you who have been waiting to take the leap to say a full yes, to go after the purpose of God for your life, to surrender fully to what he has called you to. Today and over the next few weeks, we're going to go all in. We're going to decide to pursue God like we've never done before. And today is the day that starts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and this hour. We thank you for your word that has been declared. God, for the person who needs to go all in on a relationship with you, for the person who needs to say yes to you, I pray today would be that day. And if that's you, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, save me. Change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. I admit that I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I receive your salvation today. And God, for every other person that is in this room, God, I pray that faith would arise in this place. I pray, God, that you would begin to activate the gifts and the callings on your people. That, God, you would push and prompt us into purpose and destiny. That, God, we would not be satisfied with the shallows. That we would pursue you with all our hearts, our minds, and our soul, God. That we would seek after your presence. And, God, that you would do a work in our lives. That you would rest on us. That on, like the day of Pentecost, that we would see your presence and your fire fall on us again. That miracles, signs, and wonders will be seen, that you would move like never before, and you will get the glory, and you will get the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, and every believer say amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.